I'm here with Kensel Tracy, local uh, entrepreneur, a marketing professional. You have published a book, uh, self-published, as a result of, of what? Uh, publishing a book was something I always wanted to do. I used to be an avid reader, and I uh, read I probably every self-help book that was out there. And uh, used to go to the bookmobile when I was a kid, you know, and take out all the war stories, Battle of Bulge, and I read every Scrubs on Skates. And I was always impressed that somebody could actually physically write a book. I started numerous manuscripts over the years. Uh, go back to even high school where I started writing, you know, a journal, a one-pager. I wrote poetry all the way through school. I have books of some of the poetry I wrote in uh, in high school. I wrote a play when I was in high school. And I still write music and I write songs. So I thought part of that would be should be I should have some legacy that I wanted to leave that could be published and maybe somebody would trip across uh, in some used bookstore one day and say, boy, you know, this is an impressive little book. Or some publisher might pick it up and say, yeah, I'm impressed with this. Uh, maybe I want to go ahead and publish this. So, It's a nice-sized business book. Maybe you can tell me what the title is and a little bit about it and then how you went about taking it from an idea to what we see in front of us today, which is a sort of a smallish, uh, perfect-bound, uh, attractive paperback. Well, the book was called The Ten Commitments to a Better Life and The Journey. And actually what really happened in, in writing this particular book is I started out writing another book called The Rebirth of a Salesman, which was more my story about all the things that I had done in my sales career. So there was a lot of war stories about old ways to sell products in comparison to this new way that I found in coaching, which was more of an attraction selling mode. So I'd written probably about 200 pages on the on the rebirth of a salesman, and I used a uh, philosophy from a guy named Thomas Leonard, who uh, Thomas Leonard was the father of coaching. He started out, uh, he actually was pretty impressive. He used this whole thing called attraction marketing that he gave things away, and if you used his services, you actually... Uh, paid him for it if he used it, but if he didn't use it, if you didn't get any value, if you didn't pay him for it. So I thought that was a pretty unique, unique approach. So I integrated that into the rebirth of a salesman. Well, about um, halfway through writing this book, I had a, a meltdown on my computer. And of course, being a neophyte, I didn't back anything up. I had I had the first four chapters, but I didn't have the last four, and it was very difficult to reconstruct the four chapters that you've written and one thing for anybody who's a budding writer out there you know back up all your stuff because you'll never be able to duplicate it and you're always second guessing yourself thinking oh, this isn't as good as it was before that's right and yeah. so it's a terrible place to be so with that in mind during that same time period thomas leonard passed away and died of a heart attack and uh, there was one night i couldn't sleep you know i was tossing and turning in my sleep and i got up and I started. I sat down and I said, you know, God, I got to start this book and I got to start rewriting this book. I was very frustrated because once you make a commitment to write a book, it's something that you have to find time for. You've got to really put yourself into it. And that's why most writers go away for a couple of months and write a book. And so um, I put down 10 thoughts of chapter titles, which were kind of a combination of these 10 commitments. If I was going to commit to writing a book again, I needed to write something about it. And all of a sudden I got this idea, just said, well, write this book about the 10 commitments. Simple process. Every other self-help book I'd ever written had 10 chapters with mm -hmm. 10 ideas and 10... ten. Well, 10 is popular and so is 7. Yeah, 7 or 10. You know, the, <laughs> I wrote those 10 things down and I stuck them on a wall and I actually carried them around with me for about six weeks after that because I wasn't sure I was really committed to those 10 commitments and I thought you know if I'm going to write something about 10 commitments I have to be in turn committed to those 10 commitments basically I carried them around and one day I got this whole burst of energy that just said now's the time to write the book 
And in the meantime, I was also doing a little bit of spiritual counseling with a with another uh, fellow who said he actually connected with Thomas Leonard, you know, and, and Thomas Leonard was in the room with us and that type of thing. So I sat down one day, I said, well, Thomas, if you're in the room, let's write this book. And basically what happened, I started on a Saturday morning at about uh, seven o'clock in the morning and I finished at about three o'clock on a Sunday. So in about a 24 hour period, a 48 hour period, I wrote this, I wrote the 10 chapters of the book. Would you call it divine intervention, or is that a bit too strong? No, I think, I, I would say there was. I, I would say there was some divine intervention. That was the impressive thing about it, is that when I got to the editing stage, I didn't want the editor to, to uh, change too much of the uh, the prose or the way the book had been written, because I wanted it to come out the way that it had been... Sort of pure. Pure, because it wasn't me that wrote the book. That was the thing I decided. You know, yeah. it, it was funny, it's the same thing when I write music. It's not me that writes the music, it's the third dimension that actually creates the music. Yeah. And you're the... You're just a vessel. You're yeah. the vessel and you're the conveyor of it. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's the whole story about there's a book in all of us. It's a question of how do we get that book out yeah. and what do we do to get that book onto paper and the discipline that it takes to get there. So maybe you could talk then about uh, getting it onto paper and uh, the thought that you expressed there about not wanting an editor to, to play around with it. So that would speak to the benefits of self-publishing, correct? Uh, yes, because a lot of times, the other thing about self-publishing, you know, there's nobody who's telling me to write a book about a particular topic. You know, one thing I did do is investigate the publishing industry during the process. And the publishing industry is kind of set up in a very, it's a business. It's not unlike the music industry. Uh, you know, there's lots of great music out there that never gets heard uh, because there's no outlet for it and it doesn't sell 100,000 copies. Uh, yet that music is as good as anything else out there. Same with books. There's tons of books that get published. You know, a bestseller in Canada is 10,000 books. Yeah. That's Actually, a, I thought it was 5,000. I'm not sure. Yeah. You're more the authority of it, but it's uh, for an average book, it doesn't even make bestseller status. It, publishers look to support books that are much uh, larger and broader-based topics with more high-profile writers. It's, it's typical wherever a publisher can make money. So by running your own, by developing your own book, you have a, you can uh, do something totally selfish. You can write it on any topic you want. Uh, actually, publishing a book is the easiest part because getting an editor and a printer to print a book is not a difficult situation. It takes a while to find the right printer who can do a hard copy book. If you want a hard copy cover, if you want to have it uh, perfect bound, uh, if you know, there's a lot of different approaches. You can also go on the internet too. There's a lot of self-publishing companies out there now. You send them the manuscript. They'll send you back 100 books. You pay through the nose for them. You pay 10 or 15 or $20 a copy, but they'll publish small runs of 100 or 200 books. So second thing, uh, what I did too is I found a graphic designer and an editor. So I graphic designer for a cover. Just just locally, right? That's, that's right. And that was Jason Harper, who is a local designer. He did the layouts, page layouts for me and put them in a page layout format. And I, it's funny, if you wanted stock photo, I went to this thing called iStock Photo. And you can buy a photo for a dollar twenty-five off the internet, which is you know there's another thing for uh, you know in the old days you used to pay six eight hundred dollars for a photo. Well, a lot of amateur photo people are taking photography, uploading it. You pay a buck and a half for, you, for to use their photo, and there's literally thousands of photos there for a cover if you wanted to. You know, so I picked a quick uh, cover. The other thing, I was really adamant about getting the book out. Now, I had written the book. I wanted to get it out. Yeah, and it wasn't that. and it wasn't getting out fast enough for yeah. me. And that's another thing that you'll find is once you've done the initial writing, you really want to see the finished product. For me, the big thing, too, was getting the finished product so that at least I had done one book. 
So at that point, I knew the process that I could go through for having a second, a third, a fourth book. And I also, uh, I plagiarized a little bit. I went out and I looked at a number of books that were already published that were good bestsellers. I looked at how they strategically placed the type, the types of quotes that they used. It's a marketing exercise. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in this particular book, as opposed to a, a work of literature or poetry, it, as much as anything, it's, a, it's first of all a way of, to help other people who, who may be struggling with the same sorts of issues or topics that, that, uh, that you have. So it would be a way for you, first of all, to, to provide that knowledge, but then also, in a way, it's like being able to hand out something that's a bit more substantial than a business card. Or a brochure. Or a brochure, exactly. Plus, as you've said before, there is a nice ego element to it that you've, you've written a book. You're a published author. They don't have to know that it's self-published. It's great with women, Nigel, in the sense that you, <laughs> if you tell them yourself, they say, oh, you published a book. You know, <laughs> It's a good opening line. But yeah. in all seriousness, I think you're, you're bang on there. Most of it is a credibility factor, um, especially my coaching clients. I give coaching, my coaching clients a copy of the book. Yeah. And the book is a bit abstract because it has a strong spiritual uh, bent to it uh, because of the fact that I didn't really write the book. I just was more, merely the, the, conduit, the yeah. conduit of the book. There is some of my own personal views in it, but it, it, and the funny thing about it was what I had personally thought for a number of years anyway, so it was a, a reaffirmation of all my own intuitive personal thoughts. And if the soul could speak, it, there's a book out there called The Soul Speaks. Gary Zukoff's book, uh, for example, was a lot of his own personal views and made him millions of dollars because he, he connected with his audience you know, on, on that particular front. So this book was more about the Ten Commitments, was about committing to what it is you wanted in your life, becoming incredibly selfish, becoming focused. It was all the things I needed to do myself. Mm -hmm. But when I would talk to my clients and my business associates, it was the same things they pretty much needed to do as well. You know, I got a call from somebody saying that they wanted my book because they wanted their kids to read it because they needed that right now. So you've, you've got the ideas, and, and it came to you in a really interesting way. You, you've got them down, written. Uh, so now you've got your manuscript. You, you approached a designer who sort of laid the book out for you. Then you did talk to an editor who gave it a, a once-over? I gave it to an editor to clean up the grammar and spelling, uh, make sure that you know there was continuity of ideas and that um, there was some basic uh, focus he really didn't change too much about it, I, yeah. you know, because I sort of gave him a just correct the spelling, grammar, make sure that there's some areas that if there's some redundancies or you know that type of thing that it flows. And uh, I came back and I read the book again, and, and as long as I could feel comfortable with what it was I was putting out, um, that was processed. So get your editor first because your designer needs to know how much copy you actually have. Right. So it's the edited. It was edited first. Edited first. And who? What's the name of that editor? Uh, it was John Heaney. John Heaney. John actually has written about four of his own books, and okay. so he's uh, he was a very that's a strong background, strong writing writing background, and in some cases it helps to have an editor with you, especially if you're in a situation where your ideas are there and you might be locked in. Sometimes an editor can ex help you grow your idea a little bit differently. So maybe you could say it in this way, which might get you over your hump. I wasn't I was lucky enough because yeah. my book's 120 pages, so it was a small little book and I wanted it to be that way. So then you uh, you had it laid out and then what did you do? So once I had the layout, I gave it to the designer. The designer took it and laid it out in a rough layout format, including the cover, sized up the pages. I had it, uh, I then gave it to a printer and had him, uh, had him quote on what that was, number of pages, hard copy stock, that type of thing. And uh, 
and the number of copies. I got about um, around 850 copies done for about $2,700. So you did a bit of research into which printer specialized in perfect bounders, which is what you've got, which to just explain is sort of like the pages are all sort of glued together uh, right. on a flat... Uh, Cornwall stock cover, and I wanted the book to be... Um, I didn't have a lot of money at the time to yeah. be able to, I didn't want to put out a hardcover. I wanted it to be simple. It was the first first book. I also, one of the things that most of your listeners could do is they could go to the Internet. There are companies out there in the U.S. and Canada that will, again, you can send them a manuscript, and they'll do the editing and the writing and the publishing all for you, and you pay, you know, you'll pay for a per copy. It could be as high as $15 a copy. But you're in a position where if you want a short run, out of 100 or to 500 books, it's a perfect uh, place to do it. And in fact, it's funny, I'm thinking also that might come in handy for people that, uh, that want to do a, a family history, for example. That's right. They'll do 15 books for you. Yeah, exactly. So companies will go out and, and shop your book around at book fairs for you. They'll put you on publishers' lists. Um, some companies have uh, the whole nine yards. They'll publish your book and take it out to on a PR campaign and right. publicize your book for you on all self-publishing so there's a there's a whole self-publishing network out there of, of different groups and companies and depending on how much money you have I wanted to go through the process of hands-on publishing yeah. and seeing what that looked like at the end and I think uh, part of the confidence I had is I'd done that enough in my graphic in my uh, advertising business I produced enough graphic pieces that this was another one of those pieces and I actually wanted to see how it unfolded at the end of that I wasn't disappointed with the outcome was it less expensive than uh, than going through the internet? Yeah, local publish local yeah. publisher. I went to Markart Printing here in Ottawa. They understood what I wanted to work with in the number of copies. I gave them a budget. I said I have about two thousand dollars. What kind of how many books could I get in printed inside that amount? What would you do? How long to print? And they were very good because they did mock-ups. They did two books and showed you what the book actually looked like, which mm-hmm. they handmade and then showed you the book and then you actually said it looks great. Print them and that's sort of how it showed up. The interesting thing about distributing the book, too, is in Ottawa, you can go around a lot of the independent bookstores and put your book on the shelf on a, uh, uh, what's the word, consignment Consignment basis, yeah, Yeah. so you can make a deal, you can put out 50 copies, 20 copies, and if people buy your book, great, and if they don't, you know, you get them back, but that's not unlike what happens in every major bookstore with major publishers. They're sent them back, they send them back. They send them back. That's how you get remainder books. That's right, so same thing as self-publishing is the same as being a publisher, I think, in the sense of uh, going out and doing your own thing. The other thing about it is that there's so many topics, again, that don't get covered because they don't fall into the mainstream. I got a call back from a letter back from one of the publishers, uh, Penguin uh, Books, who said, you know, your book doesn't fit the uh, type of book that we're publishing this time. Go to our website and you'll see what we're looking for as particular titles because they, they assume that lifestyle being what it is that you know certain books get written a certain way and those are the books that are going to sell. So they, in some ways they dictate the market for books, and they also dictate the creativity of those books, right? Exactly. I mean, the same thing with the actual stores themselves, like Chapters, apparently. When they first set up here in Canada, they, they carried about 300,000 titles, and apparently uh, that number is now shrunk down to about 150,000. That obviously has an impact on uh, what Canadians have access to and what they, what they can read. And, you know, the one thing, too, that most of your listeners might want to do is go to the bookstore 
and have a look around and see what's being published. Mm-hmm. You know, the interesting thing about the Ten Commitments, there was nobody pushing a book about commitments. You know, yeah. you also they also wanted a bit of a you wanted a bit of a marketing uh, uh, handle on your book too, because you yeah. want. You know, everything you read about book is that the cover is the most important part, right? People pick up the cover or they pick up the topic. It, it, well, in terms of marketing and in terms perhaps of a book collector, because 70% of the value of a book is in the cover. But, it's in the cover, yeah. But obviously most people out there are most concerned about the content. About but, the content. But unless you're selling it, as you say. So, I mean, but you didn't put a naked woman on the front. Then. No, but you wanted a bit of a hook in the sense of I wanted to be able to so even the name the Ten Commitments came out as something like the Ten Commandments oh no very very clever play on words and also when you keep saying the commitments I keep thinking of that Roddy Doyle book and the great movie the commitments so I, I was, in some ways, I was wondering about you know the fact if I was infringing a little bit on the copyright, and that's another thing. Well, the you might Bible, be, I don't think there's a copyright on the Bible. No, not so much on the Bible, but on the t- on the commitments. On the commitments, yeah. But yeah. the interesting thing is that you also want to put a, a, a copyright on your book because if your book's any good, somebody comes along, picks it up. You know, funnier things that happen. The, the one book that really struck me about putting my, out my own book was called The Lazy Man's Gold Guide to Enlightenment, and it was a an eighty page book that this guy had written in the 70s, and he sold a million copies of it. Wow. And it was about the same size as this book with about 80 pages. So I thought, you know, if that guy could sell a million copies of that book, yeah. I wanted to be kind of like the lazy man's guide to enlightenment as well, yeah. or a very simple book that you could read, have a look at, read it, take out of it what you could in a hurry, because most people are in a hurry today, yeah. but also go with all the ego issues that relate to being an author and a published author and all the things that go with it. Yeah. Luckily enough, I had a marketing background, so and I think that's the challenge you find. I mean, you interview enough writers that you see one fact is they're highly educated, intelli- intellectual, intelligent people that know nothing about marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on well, the, they also disdain it, you know. They, yeah. they, they, uh, they, don't, they want to wash their hands of it because they're... They're artists. That's right. Uh, and I'm kind of a little bit of a combination of artist and yeah. marketer, which uh, allowed me an opportunity to appreciate the art form yeah. and, and the value of the of the gift that was given, but also understand that the gift has to be told to others. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's that's part of the whole process about writing a book in the first place, I think, is giving your gift to others and allowing others to share what it is you have to offer. And the other th- hardest thing for most writers is... Um, budding writers anyway is to figure out what to write about <laughs> and how do you get it down so advice to fiction writers typically is is write what you're passionate about write what you know well, I would imagine so well that may well hold true of uh, non-fiction or, or would you say I'd say um, yeah non-fiction I think um, well if you're going to write about a topic of interest I was fortunate enough too because I think I'd read every self-help book that was out there and I realized that there was a there was a model that was being used in the self-help community about how a book is written. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because one of the other um, responses I got back, and I looked at the responses I got back as much of a help for my next book as a, a hindrance in some ways. So, And I, I didn't really care. I used the attraction principle, too. I didn't care if anybody actually published my book. I wanted to get the feedback. Yeah. So what came back on one was you know, that there was not enough information in there for the reader for the value that you were charging the format wasn't correct uh, one said that you weren't giving the answers to the to the to the listener i think the fact is that you know a writer needs to be selfish anyway in the first place he needs to be able to do what it is he does or she does to get it on paper mm-hmm. be that and, and make it your own story first make whatever it is you do your story whether anybody buys that book uh, is another question you know i i um Still on my dream site, I've got a line up there. It says, "Sell ten to fifteen thousand copies of my book." 
Yeah. You know, and what, uh, sorry, what do you mean dream site? Well, I put a you put I put a list of things together based on what the commitments are all about. You commit to the universe uh, what it is you want, and usually it shows up. So mm-hmm. I've committed ten to fifteen thousand books. Now I firmly believe that somebody will stumble across this little book, and one I'll tell you a story. Uh, uh, that the Jehovah Witnesses came to my door one day and they're always giving you the uh, copy of the Watchtower. So I gave them a copy of my book and I was hoping that they may pick up on it, you know, and that wouldn't be 150,000 copies if uh, if that happened. <laughs> you, you, give them a, you give them a discount, a bulk, a bulk discount. A bulk right? discount, but, I'm, <laughs> but I still, I'm just joking about that, but I, I firmly believe that, uh, you know, somebody out there may stumble across this book and find that it's one of the most magnificent things that's happened to them in their life. And that they'll pick up and print ten to fifteen thousand copies of this book. Interesting. Yeah. So you know, part of your dream is that you hope that happens to what you, everything you publish. Yeah. But you don't have any control over it. So, but you still have to write like you don't care. And well, plus, uh, as you said, I mean, you you don't really care if no one's going to uh, pick this up because you have committed to actually publishing it, and this is what you've done. And so it's almost this is a way for of taking it from being completely unknown to an, a known entity that you then can market in whichever way and however aggressively or passively as, as you wish. It's your tool. It, there are so few authors that do get picked up by publishers, so, and that's part of uh, the reason we wanted to talk. I wanted to talk to you today about this. And as you've said, many of us, most of us, uh, probably have a, a book in us. A- any advice based on your uh, early experience that you might be able to... Uh, Everybody's written poetry. Publish your first little book of poetry. Uh, yeah, sorry. That in fact, that's uh, that's exactly what we find. I attend a lot of the local literary events, and pretty well every uh, young poet now has a little chapbook, and basically all it is is a little bit of uh, you know twenty pound bond that uh, they've cut up and put some neat you know photocopying and the actual poetry or prose and a little uh, staple, and, and they hand that out. So that's their, that's a starting point. Yep. Second thing is, um, if you're going to write a book, pick a topic that you know something about, that you don't have to do too much work with, that you can give a lot of your own personal effort to. Uh, chapter, and write your chapters first. So put all your chapter titles down so that your book is already written in your mind. And then the hard part comes filling in the chapters and, and then putting some continuity to it, so that's a pretty easy place to start. And the other thing is just start, like yeah. uh, start. I think you yeah. pick a topic. And I, like I wrote a book about the Ten Commitments, so I was committed to writing a book about committing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was. A, so I committed to writing a book, and I was really amazed how easy it was once I knew I was committing to write. Yeah. And the writing part for me was really a big effort too, because I've written a lot of things for a lot of people, but hadn't written anything for myself. And that was really the totally, the difference about it is when you start to write for yourself, you're writing from yourself or for yourself. And if you're, if an audience picks up on your book, great. But when you're writing about something that you're really interested or passionate about or something that's meaningful to you, then it's not writing. It's not work. It's easy to do. And the hard part is that you almost have to uh, get into the now. You know, you can't be prepared to say, I'm going to sit and write for two hours. You just got to start writing. Yeah. You got to let the story flow. You got to use your imagination. I think part of the challenge uh, for a young writer, if, especially if they haven't really allowed their Im- imagination to grow, is to let their imagination just flow. Just write a, about a character that shows up from the planet Zeron and does something, even if the book stinks, even if it's uh, even if it's only uh, fifty pages. 
but it's a starting point that means something to you and you can feel is meaningful to you. And start with titles, too. Titles are another great place. Uh, write 50 book titles. The Art of Adam and the Ant. So what was Adam's role in life and what did the ant have to say about that? If you picked out a book title, The Sailor Who uh, Saw the Sunshine, what, what would that convey to you? As a starting pl- point, you know what was his life all about? What did he do? Sort of what they call a kickstart. Yeah. So you got to, I think, and I think for a young writer and anybody, I'm not, a, I'm not an old writer, but I'm not a young writer. I'm kind of, are you writer? Period. A frustrated writer more than anything. Well, most many many great writers don't start until they're in their 40s, just because there's so much that they have to get through and understand, and life that needs to be lived before they they can reflect. I mean, some of the some of the great ones admittedly started off uh, and were hugely successful right off the bat, like Norman Mailer, for example. But many, many started after they really had something to say. I, I was reading a book um, over the holidays, The Beatles, that's just this book that came out. And unfortunately, I can't tell you the author's name, but he's written an awful lot of these types of books. And this guy exudes prose. Every single sentence is an amazing piece Style. of art. It's, he's a stylist. Yeah, it's an amazing piece of art. And, you know, as a, as a writer who's written a very simple, simplified, self-published book, you get into a situation where you read somebody who knows how to write and knows how to convey it. That's where you want to get to. Mm-hmm. But, you know... And you don't want to let that... Deteriorate. You, you, yeah, you don't, you don't want to look at your stuff and say, oh, this is garbage. I, I'm not going to... I can't. I can't compete. I'm quitting. Yeah, you shouldn't, because the whole thing is that you got to start somewhere. It's kind of like, you know, you started out with uh, color pencils, mm-hmm. then you graduated oil paint, and then you went into lithography or whatever you decided to do. you got to have a place to start. You know, uh, you don't learn to play the piano. Uh, you don't start playing the piano. You learn how to play the piano. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the same thing in, uh, in writing. I think uh, everybody should have a book on the go at every point in their life. Even if they don't ever publish it, you know, yeah. fact is that a journal of your life is always a great thing. Even in coaching, like we, uh, well, it's going to be great for yourself because you can look back on where you were, but also your family and, and as you say, your uh, your legacy in a way. That's right. You want to have, a, you want to leave your legacy. The interesting thing too, I, when I do this coaching uh, programs with journaling, getting people to journal. Is that you? And I've done, having done it myself many occasions. Is you go back and it's really interesting to know where your subconscious is at. And writing is conveying, uh, having a relationship with your subconscious. Yeah. So you're in a process of d- disciplining your subconscious and learning more about yourself while you're writing. And if you wanted to do any therapy at all, self therapy, writing is a great place to do, to start to achieve that. Uh, and the publishing aspect is not really that hard to do. Well, indie music right now, there's a lot more unsigned bands that are making more money off the internet by not being attached to a major label. Because they've found a cult following that has made it work. You know, it's kind of like like Matt Mays and the El Torpedo self-published his first CD right off the floor. He just went in the band, just recorded and put out a CD, and now it's sold something like 150 to 200 thousand copies. It got picked up by a major group, and uh, he's out there, you know, and he's out everywhere. And so that's the same thing with your book. I think you, you can publish your book. You can put it in as many different places as you want. And people will pick up on it. And I was telling you that story about, um, you know, people calling me up and telling me the, the difference that I got up in the middle of the night and your book was there and I read it and it had a profound impact on my life. Well, who would have thought that the day you wrote that book, right? And I mean, you can think back to the number of books that have had a profound impact on your life. You know, you love to phone the author up and tell them, geez, uh, you know, I read that one phrase and it just made all the difference. And that's what people can do out there as well. And so thanks very much for sharing your uh, your enthusiasm and uh, expertise uh, with us. Is there a way that uh, listeners can get a hold of you and do your book? 
They can go to uh, corporatecoachworks.com. That's uh, www.corporatecoachworks. Uh, that's uh, with a Z. Coachworks, C-O-A-C-H-W-O-R-K-Z. <laughs> corporatecoach.com, yeah. And, and that, that's your website. That's my website. Terrific. Well, thanks again.